So basically, we hit record and see what comes out, right? That's how. Isn't that what we always? That's do. how this works. Welcome to behind the scenes of <laughs> professional podcasting. We are the home of professional podcasting. We just hit record and see what happens. So that should be our new motto. That thing. <laughs> That's one fit on a T-shirt. Connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. I thought there was just something. Just hit record and see what happens. I thought there was something on my nose, but it's on your computer screen. So I was like dodging oh, it. Oh, okay. I'm gonna move that. I saw, <laughs> I saw the cursor. <laughs> I'm that's sure gonna that's bug me. Hi everyone, it's a little seasick. Sorry, I'll just you know. <laughs> Good look, times. I'm gonna position myself so I look like Cindy Crawford, Beauty Mark single. Anyway. Well, okay. Hello. Uh, from my angle, I don't even see it. Good. So it's, I do. This it's is a very strange very conversation. Good. Anyway, we have those. We have, we have some strange conversations. Would you like to talk about one class? <laughs> Yeah, we did watch that last night, actually. Oh, you missed a good one. So it was was good. A good one and a bad one. So we keep recording it so that we can That was two nights ago. It's Tuesday. We watched it last night. Oh, so you have seen it. Okay. Yes, indeed. I was angry, but what else is new? Ah, don't be angry. It's all going to come to the same conclusion. Now I'm at the point where I'm I'm angry with Elizabeth. Oh, I'm always angry with Elizabeth. Because she's just strung these two men along. I think she's the worst character on the show, truthfully. Here's what I want now. I want Lucas to be with Fiona. That's exactly what I said. I think they're a great couple. Anyway. I don't know if they're a great couple or not. I just think it would be hilarious. I think they're like a power couple. They would be a power couple right there. (laughs) Fiona needs to run for mayor. If you haven't watched One Calls the Heart, do it. So we can all join in this conversation. And Carson ends up with... uh, Carson should not be with Faith. (laughs) No, Carson ends up with Elizabeth. Stuts her straight. I could see that. Anyway... They want. They need to be unified. I pretty much watch it for Gowan and Lee and Rosemary. Gowan's got a so. good storyline this year. Uh, I, I love it. It's awesome. And Ned and Annette and Florence are going to get together. Yeah, that's clever. It's good. It's clever. Yeah, they they got a chemistry going. That's yeah, good. more so than Faith and Carson. When you had the oil well blow up, that was pretty awesome. Spoiler alert! I thought. For spoiler alert for anyone watching. I thought Lucas was going to get hurt, and then he was going to get a hug like. And Nathan be horribly did. disfigured. <laughs> no. That would be awesome. No. Let's see, when you get characters who are. Horribly disfigured, then it goes away from oh he's Hickam so handsome. Got burns to on his do face. you actually really love this guy or Hickam not? Hickam got so. burns on his face. Yes, he did. So I wonder if they're going to keep that up in the makeup department for the next it's several gonna, seasons. Gonna be curious. Anyway, I want to know when they get super superpowers through it. That's next. <laughs> it's 1918, and now they're all uh, right. Anyway, and Wonder Woman shows up. All the way. By the way, they're not addressing like World War One at all. Was Canada involved in that? Yes, yes, they were. In fact, I said that a couple years ago. This is a fantasy. Like, how, I realize. How do you go through? There's World also War a pandemic going on at that time. Yep. Ironically enough. Is it is it 1918 it's, in this season? This season should be, I think, 1918. Okay. Yeah. So. It started in 1912. When when the Great War began. And you don't mention it in the show. That I find that very interesting. Anyway, but they anyway. all are unifying <coughs> together, which is my horrible transition. That, I thought that was pretty them. pretty slick, pretty slick move right there. <laughs> so <laughs> I got one. They were they were unifying, and it was glorious to to so. stop the explosion at the oil rig. They did come together. It is funny though, as you see tragedy in whether you're talking about a show there, uh, Hallmark Channel show, or a, you know some. You know, big blockbuster movie or whatever Don't else talk about you can Arrow. have. I'm just about done with Arrow at this point. The, the Supergirl <laughs> stuff that you mentioned before it has me just about done. Uh-huh. Anyhow, the um, <laughs> when you have divisions and then you have tragedy that that forces you to pull together, right. very often it can unify. It can uh, create a, a bigger picture and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and historically, you've seen that through whether it's pandemics or wars, not so much with COVID, where this is the first time that I remember even reading anything about 
things being, you know, you're so concerned about whose fault this natural disaster is. Right. We've been seeing that for the last, you know, five, ten years. You know, you saw that with, you know, Hurricane Harvey and mm-hmm. Katrina. And, you know, whose fault is it? It's a hurricane. Right. It's what happens. And you see, you tend to see, like I was telling, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Do you remember back to the beginning of the pandemic where everybody is raiding the toilet paper and not leaving anything? Like it's, it was a very, to me, disheartening picture of the selfishness of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. We, we haven't done a lot of pulling together a lot of you. And that's not, you know, not all true. There have been wonderful things to come out there of are. this and of yep. community and whatever. But, uh, you know, seeing things but like that. But it is... seems like there are fewer of those right. stories. Right. And, and unfortunately, that's what tragedy and, and difficulty and persecution in the church and war and pestilence and famine, all of these things bring out the best and worst. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it, when you have the worst, it sets the best in contrast. And we're able to then demonstrate who we truly are. And so, as you mentioned from the show, uh, whatever you know issues you've got, and, and we mentioned uh, Henry Gowan, who's probably my favorite or one of my favorite characters on the show at this point. What I love about Henry, even when he was the bad guy, when he was the villain, he was a great villain. I just He was so hateable. I just loved how hateable he was. But you know, he just got rejected by Lucas right. in trying to buy into his oil right. deal. Until everything goes wrong, and he comes and saves the day. Right. Because that's what you do when you actually care about people. Or even people. Nathan and Lucas, who are a part of this right, love absolutely. triangle. Right, absolutely. Which know, is, I was hoping for that. He was going right. to get his big disaster hug from Nathan and not well, from Elizabeth. So. Well, he helped Nathan last week by giving him money, no questions asked. Right. And then Nathan goes around and helps him up from the thing. I think so I that was a good picture. That's a beautiful of, thing, right. you know, in, in a very annoying storyline to me, because I think the whole Nathan-Lucas thing is dumb. If nobody's you seen know, What Goes to the Heart, you don't know what we're talking about. You know, but... Monty Jack and the end. No, so I anyway, disagree. I didn't like him ever. But, oh, then I can't even talk to you. <laughs> Podcast is <laughs> over. I can't talk to you right now. <laughs> I don't even want to go to church right now. I don't want to face it. My daughter, for those who are listening, my daughter uh, saw a turn of events on the show. It's like, oh, I don't even want to face Stacy right now. So anyway. I'm sorry. I'm so passionate. <laughs> but all of that pointlessness aside, when you see that kind of unity where – what is going on is bigger than whatever difference is right. between us. That's really in a in a broad and non non specific, non spiritual, non Christian sense. That's really what we're talking about. Even in church unity, we're unified by Christ. You're, we're united in Christ, and there's a lot of specifics and details and and spiritual realities that go along with that. But in a very broad sense, we're drawn together because we we all recognize that. Christ and the kingdom are bigger than whatever it is that might divide us. Right. So it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever else. We can see things differently. And and, and we don't do that well in our world no, today. No, we don't. My mom and I were just talking about that this morning. And, and, and uh, my mom is is uh, particularly conservative and has a very, uh, very particular set of skills, a very particular uh, set of, I will uh, find you. Set of uh, values. Uh, that come from her Christian worldview. And she said, I, you know, I can have lots of liberal friends. I have a hard time with the leftist friends. There's, you know, I can't really do that. It's a different set of values. So we're not talking about the same kinds of things. And we're not talking about the same things when we're talking about liberal theology versus liberal politics, two different animals. But in all of these things, when we're unified by our love for the greater cause mm-hmm. of God's kingdom, then these lesser temporal causes 
uh, have to be subjugated to that. So when, when we put those beneath it, who I vote for for president matters less than why I vote for that person for president right. when we're bound by the same things. So if I'm allowing my politics in this world to outstrip my passion for Christ and the Word of God, that's when we start to, to find division. And, and historically, just to, to look at, at what happened, even in the New Testament, when we, when we look at the book of Acts and, and division that comes in there, we look at the book of uh, 1 Corinthians in particular, 2 Corinthians also, as they're having divisions in the church, those divisions come when they take their eyes off the prize and start to put them on the the you know, the temporal things. Mm -hmm. So in the church at Corinth, for example, they're struggling, they're having a hard time getting along because they're jealous over one another's gifts. Well, why does God give gifts? And Paul placed this out very clearly for them in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. But the, the reason that God gives gifts is for the building up of the church. We're here to build up one another. He says that in Ephesians 4, we'll get to later on in this series. Um, that, that the gifts he gives to individuals in the church are for the building up of the church, for encouraging one another. If we're jealous of, you know, oh, why, did, why did she get to sing that solo in the choir? And why, did, you know, why does that person get this position of authority or whatever else? Then we've missed the point because it's not about us. And it's not about what glory we can get in this world. It's how much glory can we give to the Lord and that our reward comes from him. If we're seeking reward now, then our eyes are on the wrong place. Our eyes are not on, on the prize that, that we're actually straining for, but on all the distractions down here. And we need to set those things aside to be unified by the greater cause of God's glory and, and his kingdom. So those, those kinds of things, I can, I can say, I, I think pretty definitively, I, I don't think I'm going too far when I say, whenever we see divisions among God's people. It is always a word that, as you know, I use very carefully and in a very limited sense. It is always due to our sinfulness taking mm -hmm. our eyes off of God's priorities. Because if all of our eyes are focused on God's priorities and not our priorities, then we become unified. In fact, that's the point we'll see in Ephesians 4, is as we grow up into him who is the head, and we become more like Christ and more united with Christ in our practical living. We're already spiritually united with him, but as we are more practically walking with him, then we will by nature be practically walking with one another. And the opinions that we have become much smaller and of much less import than the greater bond that we have. So. You were going to... Uh we haven't done this in a while, but you were going to start today by uh, reading the actual text from yeah. Ephesians 2. That seems think, more logical than talking about one that calls the heart, probably. Well, but. I think it's a good place to start. So uh, why don't we do that? Yeah, so just you know, in, as, as a way of putting some context with this, uh, as we're working through this All for One series, we're, we're going through the book of Ephesians, and we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2. And as we've looked at the entire book, together, uh, the core reality that kind of binds the whole thing. And, and, and we back up for these things regularly because this is the lens the lens and the lenses through which we want to see it. So when we recognize that in the entire book, Paul's overarching message is that God's great purpose is to bring all things together under his kingdom rule in Jesus Christ. In other words, that he's reconciling all things to himself in Christ. Then we begin to see the different sections, the different uh, 
pericopes, if you will, the, the, no, the like units of word. thought. Anytime I can, because anytime I find that there's a word that I should have known years ago and didn't, then it first humiliates me, and then I embrace it. You should I take an SAT test now. Yeah, I probably wouldn't stay awake <laughs> this time either. So anyhow, uh, as we were building through this, we saw our the blessing that we have in God in chapter 1, the first portion when God's glory is displayed in his grace toward us in Christ. And we, we see those themes over and over again, that it's it's God's grace. It's God doing the doing, mm-hmm. his grace toward us, which is one-sided because that's the nature of grace. And it's toward us. It's not just toward me. It's toward us as a group. That's a big emphasis in Ephesians, whereas um, it, not that the individual relationship with God is less, but the right. focus is that our individual relationship with God is kind of like a, a, um, a teammate working out and training to be a better teammate so that we can be a better team. Mm-hmm. So our individual relationship with God is part of us being living stones built together into right. the temple. So um, it, it's it's God, it, it's his grace, it's his grace toward us, and it's in Christ. We see this, this theme of in Christ over and over again throughout the book, and all of it for the purpose of God's glory by displaying his grace to us. So as we start to look through those lenses and we see this oneness in all of it, um, Paul moves toward this idea in the first part of chapter 2 where God is giving us life by his grace so that we could give our lives for his glory. So we're saved by grace because we are his workmanship. We are God's poema, his, his, his meisterwerk, his, his handiwork in one translation, masterpiece in another. Uh, these are his workmanship, I think is the NIV. These are really important concepts, but when we grasp that that's that's his purpose. That's what he's doing mm-hmm. in saving us, is displaying his magnificent, glorious grace in us for all of the world, the unbelieving world, for all of the angels and demons and spiritual entities to see throughout the ages. It's a bigger purpose than what I can sure. get out of yeah. church kind of thing. So with that in mind, he, he comes out of that idea of, you're saved by grace through faith, not not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. Uh, because we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, in verse 11, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. And he's by, by saying that, he's really drawing the distinction between the sign of the covenant that, that God instituted and the religious practice of, of this ceremony, having this outward sign apart from the inner covenant that, that we're working through. So he's showing there's a distinction here between Gentile and Jew, but there's also a distinction between the real and the apparent. Mm-hmm. So what we see uh, in, in seeming to be real, in here the, the circumcision in our context, we might say uh, baptism or uh, communion or going to church or any of those types of things that look Christian but may not be depending on the faith involved in it. Right. You say, okay, just understand just because people are talking about this doesn't mean it's a thing. So you who are Gentiles by birth and separated from, from those who are uh, in, insiders as Jews, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. Citizenship's a pretty big thing in our current culture. 
uh, citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, one new humanity. Uh, I think the newer edition of the NIV says humanity. One new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, the body of Christ, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility, the hostility between the two of them. In putting to death the hostility between us and God, the enmity between God and man, he is also then saying, look, all of you, you're not saved because you're Jewish. You're not saved because you're Gentile. You're saved by the blood of Christ mm -hmm. on the cross. Mm -hmm. You're all in the same boat. And so in saying that, he takes away that wall between us as well. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, peace to those who were near, who grew up in Israel with the law and the prophets. Right. We could equate that today to, to those who grow up never knowing anything about the Lord, whether it's you know in some faraway land where they've never heard about Christ. Christ, or here in our own land where they didn't go to church and they right. may have the Christian references throughout the culture, but they don't know anything, right? And so you, you assume everybody knows John 3.16, but a lot of people don't. Right. And so maybe that equates here in a practical sense to those Gentiles who did not have the advantages of the Jews of growing up hearing those things. Whereas for someone like, like you and I, where you grow up in church, even when it's even when you don't get it yet, even when you're when you're not in Christ, you still have heard right. those things. You've you've had those truths. You've had every advantage. So he's he's showing that kind of a of a, a gap there that he came and he preached peace to those who were near, and peace to those who were far away. Verse eighteen, for through him we both the insiders and the outsiders, the Jew and the Gentile, have access. To the Father by one Spirit. So it's all one, it's all in Christ, it's all by the same Holy Spirit, it's all the same Father. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens. So you were, but because of what, what Christ did, that's the consequence of what Christ did, the fallout of the crucifixion in our place, this redemption, is that we, Gentiles, are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, not throwing away the Old Testament, not right. throwing away the Old Covenant, but built on that. The, the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old. The gospel is the fulfillment of the law uh, because we couldn't fulfill it, so Christ does. So consequently, we're no longer foreigners and aliens, fellow citizens of God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And the cornerstone is that first piece laid to demonstrate, it's not just like the ceremonial cornerstone that we might see in a building today that has a little time right, capsule right. in it. So this is the, the idea here is this is the stone on which the entire foundation is, is built. So the foundation that you have is built on Christ. The Old Testament, the New Testament, all of it hinges on Christ. So he is the foundation ultimately that, that the entire church is built on. 
In him, verse 21, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so we see this temple imagery, which is significant in Ephesus. They have a pagan temple to, to Artemis or the Roman Diana, uh, one of the great wonders of the world at that time. And also in the in the Jewish temple picture that they're having, they in both cases you are seeing this great um, this great edifice that is created for the purpose of giving attention to this God. In the Jewish temple, what you have is this is the place in the tabernacle and, and the temple uh, by the time of Christ. Uh, my, I don't know that this is explicitly stated, but I think the picture that Jesus gives with the fig tree and so on and the things that he says about the temple is that the, the glory has completely departed, that, that mm. God is no longer manifesting him, himself in his Shekinah glory in the temple at this point. Um, and someone with better temple uh, background than I have might, might set me straight on that. Uh, but my understanding as I look at the book of Acts and I look at, at the gospels and what Jesus is doing here is that God has no longer been manifesting right, himself yeah. there. Uh, and now we're being told specifically, Paul is saying it here, and I think it fulfills what Jesus had said as well. And what we see in, in Acts 2 is the Holy Spirit comes on them, that the church now becomes the temple. It's not that the church becomes Israel right. so much that the church becomes the temple. We are together the living stones built together into this dwelling, into this house of God where he lives by his spirit. He manifests himself. He displays his glory through the church together. So that's kind of where we are in looking at Ephesians. And and that's, as you, as you walk through that, in light of what we see in the entire book, and we put the context together of what he'd said before, what he's going to say later, and the whole picture, <clears throat> we see that the glory of God is displayed in the unity of his people in Christ. So it's not just you know, in God's glory is not displayed in the glory of the church as an organization. And we can look back. I was going to ask about that, so I'm glad you said that. Yeah, as, as we've looked back through history, and you can see the development of the religion of Christianity, which is, uh, I would contend, very different than, than actually being in Christ. And you saw this, this development in the church that, gave more prominence, more power, more wealth, more hierarchy. And, and having gone to a, a Catholic college, you can recognize some of those things that go along with that. You know, even if you go across the street to Notre Dame at the Golden Dome and, and all of the, the, the beautiful pageantry that goes along with it, that's an earthly glory that is not the it's same. It's beautiful. As what, but it, it's, it absolutely is. <laughs> but yes, it and, is. And makes for some great football tradition as well. But the as you're looking at how that developed throughout history, the more power and glory the church had in itself as an organization or as a religion, the farther away it got from its purpose right. as God's and temple. And that's, that's interesting and maybe not surprising that many people who are outside of Christ tend to be turned off by... In our day. Right, know, right. I'm, talking, I'm speaking now. Yeah. Tend to be turned off by... Christianity as a whole because it's so easy to see it as those things as right. you know and we talked a few weeks ago about these you know 
preachers with million dollar houses or the or all the pageantry of the of these services and da 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 da. And people tend to, I think, focus on on that aspect of the church instead of what it really is. And that can be kind of a kind of a ooh, I don't I'm not into that right. sort of thing. For and me. I'm really not trying to, to bash <laughs> no, I'm not you know, either. The, I'm any just... particular church or or churches who are affluent. And I, I don't want to say that there's anything innately wrong with that i think there is a line Mm -hmm. but i don't i can't say that i know what that line is i think that's something that that god determines with it Uh, but i went to a a a church uh at thanksgiving of uh uh, you know my all-time favorite preacher and it's a big church you know there's you know i don't even know how many people go there but it's a lot of people and you know it's it's a wealthy church. They, they're living in the in the Dallas Fort Worth area. It's a pretty wealthy area of the mm-hmm. country, and so there's uh, there's a lot going on there, and they're doing a lot of wonderful things. And I think it's a terrific right. and church. And of course, it you seems want as many healthy. people as possible Absolutely. to hear the word. And but. and the decor is expensive, and the building is expensive, and just the power to air condition and heat the place must be expensive. Uh, so I, that, but it, by all other indicators, you know, you look at it. I can't say, oh wow, that's an unhealthy church because right, they're doing right. well. I'm not trying to say that because either. somebody in you know Ethiopia or or South America or the Appalachian Mountains might look at us in our and in think, our little building here and say, wow, right. look at those people. What do they think? I just think as a whole, they spend that much money on right. air conditioning. That's right, crazy. Right. I just think as a whole, Christianity today <clears throat> tends to get a bad rep. Yeah. Because of things like that. And I think you know that is really the fruit more than the root. It's not, right. it's sure not the it money, yeah. and this is what Jesus said. It's the it's the love of the right. money. Right. When that becomes important, and we kind of mentioned this earlier, talking about unity. When when we get our focus on temporal things, mm-hmm. when the church becomes about how prominent we are, how much political clout we have, how much influence we have as an as an organization, as people, that becomes. Uh, problematic Mm -hmm. because the influence that we are called to have is through relationships as we reflect the reality of Christ so as we as we in our relationships as people as a as a household of faith and I guess I mean it would be difficult to not recognize that there is an organization I guess if the opposite is disorganization then that's not good but as a group we want to have the most influence that we can have, right. but not for our glory, for the salvation of the people around us and right. for the glory of right. God. Right. So, you know, to if you look at coming from a Catholic college, you probably saw a number of Latin phrases and, and things like a major, uh, Deo Glorium, uh, that Sang everything that we're doing is for the greater glory of God right. and the salvation of humanity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we're going to if we're going to look at how we can be ambassadors in this world, then there is there is a benefit. I guess I don't want to go too far with this, but uh, there's a benefit to doing things well, whatever that is. Mm. People respect you when you do things well, but that can't be the end game. The end has to be the glory of God, not you know. How good can we look? You know how what how strong right. can our preacher be if he's you know if he's really cool and slick and dresses the part and says all the right things and is a great dynamic public speaker? Well, that could be any number of unsaved folks out there. That has nothing to do with it. You know, Oprah has a huge following and is a great communicator. 
That's not helping the kingdom of God. So for us, don't write me about Oprah, please. That's not, you know, that's not what we're talking about. But as we're working through our role as the body of Christ, we, we don't display God's glory through our greatness. We don't right. display God's glory through our, uh, you know, our affluence or how big our choir is or how, you know, how really cool our music is. Whether we're seeker-driven or we're very traditional, whatever it is, if we're doing these things thinking that people are going to be drawn to God, drawn to Christ by our excellence in that way and i've fallen prey to that myself you know back in in earlier years um and probably do now at times that i don't even think about it because human pride does that but if we think that that's what's going to draw them then we have missed what the bible tells us jesus said they'll know you're my disciples by your love not by your excellence by your love he didn't even say by your moral purity right by your love. Now, the moral purity comes when, if you love me, obey my commandments. So do the things that are in keeping with that. So if you love the Lord, moral purity will follow. But moral purity in itself is not the end. It is part and parcel of having a changed life. Right. So if we really want people to see Christ and be drawn to the church, we do that best by living as people of grace in unity, in harmony, not not uniformity, not where we're all singing the same part, but where all of the parts that we're singing work together. Right, to and that's carry the beauty of it is that yeah. we all have different. I don't even want to say gifts. We all do, but we right. all have different uh, roles to play, parts to play, things, personalities to, things to do. Yeah. And that some of us have hair, and some of us don't. Um, so, but I think that's what makes it work. That's, yeah. you know, it, it, if, since we're talking about churches, even in a church family, that's what makes it work is that people bring different things to the table for the glory of God. Right. It's not for, and I'm sure I don't, you know, I try to avoid arguments as much as possible, but I'm sure there are people in our church that I have disagreements with on basic things or we sure. don't, you know, we don't see eye Team eye Lucas or Team Nathan. Right. So. I can't stand you because of the <laughs> <laughs> You say that you don't but, even know where I stand. Uh, I do, um, <laughs> but no. I so it's it's interesting to me in this, especially in this time where I, I can just think of social media. This first thing that pops in my head where people are so quick to argue about every little thing that we might disagree on, especially on social media because you feel safe behind a computer or a phone. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not saying those things don't happen um, in a church or with Christ followers. Obviously, they do. But letting go of that, and I, I don't always do this well. I haven't had this in our church. But letting go of that in general in your life as a Christ follower because you realize there's something bigger and, mm. and you're trying to unify, um, I think that's that's the point. It's that right. we're all different because we're all it, it, we need to be different right. in order for things to work. <laughs> life is a team sport, right? Uh, and, and life in Christ even more so. And so, right. one of the important things about the passage uh, as we were reading through it is Paul is not calling us just to be better team players. He's not right. saying, you know, if you just read my leadership book or listen to my leadership podcast, you're going to do better right. on all these things. He's saying this is a supernatural thing. This is couched specifically in our being redeemed by mm -hmm. Christ. It is because we are all saved by grace that we're all on the same footing before the cross. There's, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile because 
of the grace of God in Christ. You're on the same team. 100%. And you got on the same team the same way, regardless of whether you had the advantages of growing up in church or growing up, in in that case, under the Law and the Prophets, or whether you grew up in a pagan home and and never heard or thought anything about Christ. It doesn't matter how the path plays out. We all get there the same way. There's only one narrow way, and that's Jesus. And beyond that, once you're on the same team... You have the same goal. You have the same, you want the same things. And you might have different ideas on how to get there or what to do, but you want the same things and you're working toward those same things, maybe just in slightly different ways. Yeah. So the the key to our unity in Christ is not mustering up better unity in Christ. It's recognizing what he has done in us. It is a supernatural unity. So in ourselves, we're separated from God and one another because of all these human divisions in in our sinfulness. But in Christ, we're reconciled to God and one another Mm -hmm. because everything else falls away. Everything that divided us before becomes of no importance at all compared to the surpassing grace of God. And his glory that will be revealed in us comes through that grace and very often through the suffering that comes along with that so that he in these ways, because of of what he has done in us individually, he has caused us to be, as said elsewhere, the the living stones with which he builds his temple. And so he's building in the church this this foundational building. So we've got the, the foundation of Christ on which we have the before they even knew it the the apostles and the prophets mm-hmm. the, the they're they're coming together here and notice the apostles in the new testament the prophets of the old testament they're together with the cornerstone of Christ the old testament and the new testament joined and as that comes together in Christ then we are built together into this temple where God manifests himself where his glory is displayed and this is why the the corporate celebration of Jesus' death on the cross in our place, which you know we refer to it a lot of times as remembrance celebration here, uh, the the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, or in this case very specifically communion, because we are sharing together in the body and blood of Christ, mm-hmm. and it's the body and blood of Christ that unites us, not anything else. All the rest of the stuff is small potatoes compared to being saved. And far too often that becomes more of a ritualistic thing. But when you really think of it like that as and you 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 paused on Sunday to really focus on this before we because we we do our remembrance celebration at the first weekend of every every month. And you paused on Sunday to kind of hone in on, you know, getting people to think about what that means Mm -hmm. and not to take it lightly because and I know some some churches do it every week. Some churches do it, you know, whenever. Mm-hmm. And when I when you don't focus on that, it just becomes another thing you do. Right. Um, so re- recognizing not only what that symbolizes, but how it brings us together in unity. I that was that was stirring in my head on Sunday when we had just talked about unity and how we're all in this same boat mm-hmm. uh, uh, through the body and blood of Christ. And that that really stuck with me on Sunday. So I don't think. Because I thought you were just going to talk about communion because we were taking communion, but it really ties into the whole thing really well. God did that and just worked out for the rest of us. But the the thing that stands out to me in this and, and um, the the picture that uh, you, that you used for the program cover of the communion elements 
uh, I liked this this stack of stones option. We Stacy puts together the image that I'm using in the series on, on the uh, the worship folder that we pass Sorry up. Sorry if you hate it. And so uh, we kind of talk about it, and, and uh, our friend Aaron puts together the image for the memory verse. So we we kind of work on how we're going to play this out, and we settled on that communion image because that is exactly what we are celebrating that right. we are one in Christ and it is the body and blood of Christ that makes us one and because we are in Christ that means we are joined to one another right. so in this age of you know I hate to even say it but but wokeness and, and uh, critical race theory or critical theory period which is shifting in all sorts of different ways where where our primary view of history and economy and everything is through our uh, our human identity the color of our skin the color of our sin the the decisions that we make and our our backgrounds when we're seeing ourselves through those things primarily look at the division that it causes right so you know and again as a child of the 70s the this is a whole other podcast. We can do this in something to rant about. But the the whole picture of of racial, I'll call it racial reconciliation. I don't know if that's the best term, but it's one that gets thrown around a lot. The idea of wholeness and healing between blacks and whites, and 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 it, you expand that out to all other different kinds of minority groups, but. That coming out of the 50s and 60s and civil rights movement into the 70s, uh, the goal was to stop looking at things right. through this lens and was largely accomplished. Morgan Freeman was a big part of that. And, and while he and I might disagree on a number of things, he's, uh, I think he claims to be an atheist. He's at least an agnostic. Uh, this, this picture of being judged by if I may borrow the term, the content of your character rather than the color of your skin is now has gone away. Right. And all of these human divisions, when we look at your, you know, who you are as a woman, so we can't be of one mind because you're a woman and I'm a man, and and because we are both, as people might call today, cisgendered, which is a, a ridiculously horrible term. And if you want to email me about that, go ahead. It is a horrible him, offensive evil term, a tool of the devil, to create a syndrome around biblical foundations of human identity. But I digress. When we fall into these things where we're identifying ourselves only according to these temporal issues, then we have lost the ability to see ourselves in any higher sense. So apart from Christ, we are still bound as image bearers, we are God's image bearers. Now, those in Christ recognize that; those right. apart from Christ may not. But that's that's something that binds us because we are all created in the image of God and have dignity as human beings. The the black man that is the same as the white woman. We are all image bearers of Christ, mm -hmm. or image bearers of God. Then, when we are redeemed in Christ, when we are saved by His grace through faith, which is a gift from God and not of ourselves, not by works, then we become in Christ a redeemed people, the church of Christ built together into a temple, God's workmanship, where He dwells and He displays His glory. Uh, 
and, and that is what unifies us. Mm-hmm. So all of the other stuff, all of the, the intersectionality that, that we deal with, that's human. And when I say human, what I mean is sinful. That's not primarily who we are. I am not primarily my last name or my background or my economic status or my geographical location. I'm not primarily an American or, or a, a non-American or whatever. I am primarily, first and foremost, a child of God in Jesus Christ. And when we begin to look at one another this way, then those who are in Christ are our brothers and sisters, our teammates. Right. And those who are not in Christ are not our enemies, but our mission field. This is where we are to express the love of God so that they might find life in Christ. And it changes everything about how we live our lives. Well, we're going to stop there. I had more questions, but we'll stop there because uh, we're way over. But uh, I thought we were going to be on time, and then I started going. Sorry. It's No, I'm glad you went. Um, so we will stop there for today. But as always, if you guys have any questions, feel free to leave us a message on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, send us an email at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org or give us a call at 269-756-RLCC and leave a voicemail. And we will talk about it later on a future show. Excellent. Think that's all I have? Think that's all Rich has, or he will continue. Uh, We will catch you guys later.